can you, can you see it? The kingdom of God, can you see it? Jesus had told Nicodemus that unless someone was born again, he couldn't see the kingdom of God. And as we looked at that passage, we saw that being born again, it's, it's not something that we do or control. Jesus said that it's being born of the Spirit, and the Spirit's like the wind, and the wind blows where it will. It comes and it goes as it wants to. We can't control it, but we can see the effects of it. And the effect of being born again is that we're enabled to see and distinguish the kingdom of God from all other kingdoms with increasing clarity. A clear vision of the kingdom of God produces clear results. I want to read to you today from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 22 through 36. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put into prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing and everyone's going to him. To this John replied, a man can receive only what he's been given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but I was sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. And that joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth speaks to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard. No one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, but God's wrath remains on Him. Father, You've sent Your Son into the world that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That we'd be delivered from the wrath of God because of our sins. Father, give us, we pray, by your Spirit, ever-increasingly clear vision to see your kingdom. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. What is your vision of the kingdom of God? Everybody who believes in the kingdom of God has a vision of, 
of it. The Pharisees believed in the coming kingdom of God. They had a vision of the kingdom. The Sadducees believed in a coming kingdom. Uh, They had a bit of a different vision. The disciples of John had a vision of the kingdom of God. You have a vision of the kingdom of God. I have a vision of the kingdom of God. What characterizes that vision? And what does it lead to in your life, having that vision? This uh, episode in the life and the ministry of John the Baptizer is a case study in the clear vision of the kingdom of God. And the situation, you know, as, as I've read it this morning, is this, that, that John's disciples are carrying out his baptism. It's a baptism of repentance. It's a baptism of preparation for the coming of the Messiah. And John is uh, baptizing. He and his disciples are uh, there just a little north of the Dead Sea region, south of Jerusalem. And as they're baptizing, an argument ensues between some of John's disciples and a particular religious leader. We're told a particular Jew. In in John's gospel, uh, the Jews is the way that John speaks of the religious leaders. And, And the issue is over what exactly it is that they're doing. The issue is over this purification. And the question, it seems, was what exactly... Uh, are you doing when you baptize? What does your baptism do? What does it mean? What does it indicate? And apparently the uh, issue turned to what was happening with Jesus' disciples because they also were baptizing. Now, uh, John will go on in chapter 4 to tell us that uh, Jesus himself wasn't baptizing. This baptism was a witness to Jesus, and Jesus didn't come bearing witness to himself. But the concern we see of John's disciples is that attention was being diverted from John and now is being placed upon Jesus. And John's disciples were concerned about that. And in that concern, they were missing something important. Vision that is less than clear focuses on the unimportant. Um, You know, as we've just been introduced to John and as we see him in the other Gospels, it's pretty clear that that John was not a normal guy. He's not a normal guy. Um, We're told that he dressed in a camel's hair tunic and a leather belt. Uh, If you were to go to downtown Leesburg and you saw somebody walking down the street toward you in a camel hair tunic and a leather belt, you would cross the street, right? because that would be very peculiar. Well, let me tell you, in the first century, that wasn't ordinary dress either. That was a a pretty peculiar, a pretty odd way to dress. The synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, all think it's important to make a point of telling us John's diet. We're told that, that John had a source of protein, he had a source of carbohydrates. His source of protein was locusts. His source of carbohydrates was wild honey, not cultivated honey. He didn't keep bees. He had to go out and find bees and then uh, raid the nest for their honey. Um, That's odd. That's odd. 
Um, I, you know, you picture John as I picture him, if I take this information, and I said this before, that John must have been a fairly emaciated guy. I mean, I don't imagine that he's gorging himself on locusts and wild honey. But John's disciples, you know, here it's obvious that they have a deep affection for him, and that deep affection turns to a jealousy for him. And, and, you know, sometimes followers can get fixated on peripherals, on distinctives of personality, we might say. Remember when I was uh, in, in, in seminary a long, long time ago, and my first homiletics professor was talking about students that he had heard, and he said that there were some, uh, that, that he'd had rather, and he said that some of his students, when they'd get up in the a pulpit, he remembered one student particularly would get up in the pulpit and he'd walk with a limp. He didn't walk with a limp any other time, but he walked with a limp when he was in the pulpit. And, uh, and, and he asked the guy, why do you walk with a limp? And the fellow wasn't even aware that he did it, but he said, oh, well, he said, my pastor back home, who is very influential, uh, walks with a limp. And so when he used that as a story to tell us, he said, fellas, listen, he said, by all means, imitate, emulate, people's godliness but but don't imitate and emulate their peculiarities right there's no there's no need to do that and we all have peculiarities right i mean everybody but me but 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 all of you have peculiarities that's how we feel like everybody else is peculiar i'm normal right that's that's what we tend to think we all have peculiarities and, and, and John's disciples' vision had become somewhat clouded because their, their vision had fixated on John. But John himself had a clear vision. The, the kingdom of God, John was clear, the kingdom of God is not about John's peculiarity. It's not about his perspective, not about his priorities. Um, so it's significant, you know, as we look at John. Uh, John comes along uh, preaching that the Messiah is coming. He doesn't come along preaching the benefits of natural food. He doesn't come uh, preaching the benefits of homemade clothing or that it's good to sleep wherever it is that John sleeps. John has seen the kingdom of God. And his vision is clear. Um, you know, throughout the Gospels, we'll meet people who haven't seen the kingdom of God, but they uh, will become, for a time at least, disciples of Jesus, because people who have not seen the kingdom of God will sometimes find Jesus useful. It's useful to put a Jesus symbol on your business page at your website. Jesus may prove to be a useful name for politicians to invoke in order to court votes. And there are plenty of people who will 
hitch their wagons, so to speak, to Jesus because he's useful to their agenda. But we'll turn around and shout, crucify him the moment he stops being useful. But John is not one of them. John has seen the kingdom of God. And he's got his own peculiarities, his own proclivities, but he doesn't confuse them with the kingdom of God. You know, I suspect, as we're not really told very much about it, but I suspect that, that, that Matthew, one of the twelve, who had served Rome as a tax collector, and Simon the zealot, who, as a zealot, was ready to take up arms to expel the Romans from Israel, both became followers of Jesus among the twelve in his inner circle. And I would imagine that both of them still had some residual different perspectives on their relationship to Rome. But they saw the kingdom of God. They didn't confuse those perspectives with the kingdom. And because he had seen the kingdom, John says to his disciples, look, he must become greater and I must become less. That's what my whole ministry was about, John said, it's pointing to him. Beware of the person who says, and beware of your own heart when it says, he must become greater so that I can become greater. He must become greater so that my advantage can become greater, my comfort may become greater. The Pharisees had a vision of the kingdom of God. The Sadducees had a vision of the kingdom of God. You and I have a vision of the kingdom of God. Is it a clear vision? Is it a good vision? Is it a right vision? No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And a clear vision of the kingdom of God produces clear results as it did in the life of John. If John is an example of someone who's clearly seen the kingdom of God, uh, note with me, if you will, three things about him. The first thing, and I've mentioned this already, is John's silence. His silence on things that don't have anything to do with the kingdom. John doesn't come preaching the benefits of his wackadoodle diet. He doesn't come heralding the benefits of Uh, wearing rough clothing. He doesn't extol living out in the desert as a moral necessity. When it comes to the kingdom of God, his message is only, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now you say, does that mean that that I can't talk about anything other than Jesus or Uh, have opinions on anything else? No, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean don't
confuse your peculiarities with the message of the gospel. Don't confuse your peculiarities with the kingdom of God. And be careful that others not get the impression that in order to be a Christian means that they have to embrace your peculiarities. Uh, don't be like the Christian Honda dealership owner uh, that, I, that I know I went to school with uh, who tells people, I hope in jest, I'm sure in jest, that Jesus wants you to drive a Honda because the Bible says that the disciples were all in one accord. Right, I take it that's a joke. I hope it is. John is, John is silent because he's seen the kingdom. Silent on those things that don't really have to do with the kingdom. No, too, his self-denial. Uh, John doesn't revel in his popularity, but he points to Jesus at the very start of this gospel when Uh, The Jewish authorities in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. We read in chapter 1 that he did not fail to confess, but he confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him then, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? No. And finally they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way of the Lord. And so we see when his disciples come to him and say to him with concern that that, that people are going to this other man, John said, a man can receive only what he's been given from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but I was sent ahead of him. And the bride, that's these people here, they belong to the bridegroom. And the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. And that joy is mine, and it's now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. Um, John did not seek to use his unsought celebrity to aggrandize himself or his own ideas. Instead, he stayed the course of same saying. And that's the third thing I'd like you to note about John. That he was silent on things that didn't have to do with the kingdom that he engaged in this self-denial pointing to Christ. And that led him to this same saying. That would be a pretty literal translation of the New Testament word for confess. The word confess means to same say, to say the same thing. I think it's not a stretch to say to say the same thing that God says. When we confess our sins, what we're doing is we're saying the same thing about them that God says. And we saw in uh, chapter 1 that when people came to John to ask who he was, that he confessed, he same said, did so freely, that I'm not the Christ. And you see that John's message is essentially the same as that of his master. When Jesus was speaking with Nicodemus, Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, 
but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. John says, The Father loves the Son and places everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. John doesn't add to the message elements of his own agenda. He doesn't subtract from the message things which may hurt his popularity. John saw the kingdom of God clearly and it produced in him clear results in his life. He saw the kingdom of God. Have you seen the kingdom of God? You know, it might be that as we've been considering these things, your conscience has told you. I'm not always silent about my peculiarities and proclivities. There are times that I've confused them with and I've presented them as a part of the Christian faith. Or your conscience might tell you that I have not always denied myself. Sometimes my interest in Jesus' kingdom has been how it could benefit me and serve my agenda. He must become greater so I can become greater. Or your conscience might tell you that sometimes I've added to that message or left things out because it served me to do so. I haven't always seen the kingdom of God clearly. It's not always produced clear results in my life. Does that mean that I've not been born again? Friends, I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 11 because we're told by John that this all took place before John had been put in prison. But Matthew 11 tells us after John has been put in prison. We're told when John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor, and blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. You know, sometimes there are circumstances in our life that um, produce fear, and that fear clouds our vision. That's what happened to John. He's looking at his circumstance, and he says, if you're the, if you're the Messiah and I'm your servant, why am I still here in prison? And do you see what Jesus says to him? That the solution is to walk by faith and not by sight. Walk not by what we see and perceive in our own circumstances, but walk by faith in who he is and what he has done. 
You know, that's why he's left us the Lord's Supper, to bolster our faith. In this supper, you who know Christ are called to see him by faith, and by faith to see what he has done. The times and circumstance in which we live today easily blind us to the kingdom. And there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear on the part of people who name the name of Christ. And friends, I'll point out to you that the Bible tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear. That if you experience fear, it comes from somewhere other than God. But God's given us a spirit of power and of love and of sound discipline. The times and circumstances easily blind us to the kingdom. The fear that society will fall apart tempts us to subdue or to substitute rather our own agendas and comforts and the status quo for a true vision of the kingdom of God. And I read some time ago that... Um, fellow said that what some people call repentance is really just returning to an earlier stage of disobedience in the church today. In the early third century, Origen of Alexandria observed Jesus is autobasileia. That's a word that he coined. It means Jesus is himself the kingdom of God. To see Jesus as he is, for who he is, without agenda or without desire for anything other than to gain him and to do his will, is to see the kingdom of God. And if you've seen the kingdom of God, but mist has clouded your vision, Open your eyes to see him in this supper. And by the grace of God, the mist will clear. Mm-hmm.